HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This piece was brought to you by Roberta's, robertaspizza.com. I'm HRN's Communications Director, Kat Johnson, with a preview of this week's episode of Meat and Three, our weekly food news roundup. We decided it's high time we do an episode about Mary Jane. Marijuana, things are happening. That's right. This episode is about pot. We're exploring the rhetoric surrounding legalization in New York's recent gubernatorial primaries. And a cheesemonger turned cannabis consultant shares the tricks of the trade. Great. So do you want to conquer the world? Do you want to have hazy eyes? Do you want to, you know, just relax all day and be floaty? And we find out how one exemplary South Carolina farmer is trying his hand at a new crop. Every plant that comes up from seed is different. And so it's... It's learning how the plant grows, how it responds, and then familiarizing myself and my senses with this plant. Plus, Hannah Forden and I taste test the hottest new cocktail ingredient, CBD. So subscribe to Meet and 3 wherever you listen to podcasts and be the first to know when the newest episode of Meet and 3 drops. Welcome to here. <laughs> welcome to HR and Happy Hour. I want to say start welcome again, to meeting three. <laughs> welcome to HR and Happy Hour. It's five o'clock somewhere, and somewhere is Bushwick. I'm Kat Johnson, the communications director here at HRN, and Katie has literally gone fishing this week. So in her place this week is our membership coordinator, Hannah Forden. Happy Thursday, Kat. Happy Thursday. We have a super fun crowd in the studio today. Let me introduce everyone. First of all, surprise guest, Emily Pearson of Heritage Foods. Woo! Welcome. Thanks for picking me up off the street and letting <laughs> me uh, come in you were twice just, in one day. You were wandering through the garden and we said, come on in. Yeah. Come I'm, hang out. I'm always in for happy hour. <laughs> we have Jordan Warner Berry. Hey. Jordan just... Wasn't, I'm just here. Wasn't going to stay, but then got um, enticed with some vermouth, Yeah, which we will talk about in a moment. It's not hard if you <laughs> shake some ice cubes at me. Yeah, bribery always works. <laughs> and our engineer today, we're so excited. It's her first day flying solo in the booth, Amanda Wang. Woohoo! Hey, Amanda. <laughs> and our guest of the hour who brought said vermouth along, she... Who might be choking. <laughs> 
Um, she knew right how to get to our hearts with bringing in some tasty, tasty beverages. It is happy hour after all. Um, our guest today is Elizabeth Tilton. She's the head of brand at WNP. Welcome. Hello. <laughs> um, we are going to call, I think we're going to call this episode Elizabeth Tilton Explains It All because we basically have a rapid fire um series of topics that we want to cover because I have known Elizabeth for a long time and there's just a lot of things that I know she knows a lot about and we're going to talk about them. Yeah, all. we just want you to weigh in on everything. I'm in. Okay, perfect. Awesome. <laughs> okay, first up, we're going to do a few announcements. So I'll let Hannah take it away with our first one. Sure. Um, so we have some really exciting events coming up this fall. Um, first up, Sam Ben Ruby, who is the host of The Grape Nation, is going to be joining um, Norwalk Now for Crush, which is a five-day celebration of beer, wine, and spirits. It's October 16th through 20th in Norwalk, Connecticut. Um, Sam's going to be there on the 19th for a very special global wine dinner, which is going to be at Washington Prime. You can check out the schedule and get tickets at norwalknow.org slash events slash crush. And, you know, the only thing that was missing from that description was cider, which leads me to our next announcement. We are officially have tickets on sale for our event coming up in November called Co-Ferment, Blending Perceptions of Cider, Wine, and Beer. And it's going to be a tasting and panel discussion led by our very own Jordan Wernerberry and Dan Pucci, who if you know anything about cider in New York, you'll know the pooch. You're not allowed to, yeah, you're not allowed to have a cider event in New York without the pooch. <laughs> or without you. <laughs> yeah. We're working on that. Yeah, yeah, um, exactly. It's going to be really fun. This is an event that Dan and I have been scheming up for a couple years and we weren't weren't really sure how to do it but cider week for new york city runs kind of overlapping with the raw wine fair and so this event is going to be the night of the second day of raw but right kind of at the beginning of cider week and we want to bring in producers who are kind of blending if you'll forgive the pun um production methods natural kind of making things naturally fermented but also playing with apples and grapes or grapes and grain or kind of what how all these things overlap. So we're cider people and it's cider focused, but there will be um, Grimm Artisanal Ales will be here pouring beer. We'll have Derek Trowbridge from Old World Winery in Sonoma. He makes a killer cider that most people don't know because mm. he's known for his wines. And then we'll have John from Black Duck Cidery in the Finger Lakes and it should be a great time. Yeah, I think our Cider Week event last year was like one of the like most fun and like sold out events of the year. And so I think this is just going to be even bigger and more exciting. And we're really excited. And there's going to be snacks from Samisa, yes. which is another thing to get excited about. We know that a lot of people will have been at Raw for a whole day. And there are a lot of wines to try there. And so we, we know we need to feed people. Yeah, we want to feed you. <laughs> so that, that event is taking place, as Jordan said, the second day of Raw, which is Monday, November 5th. It's happening at 100 Bogart um, on the fifth floor, which is, has a really big, beautiful terrace. Um, we're going to have beer, wine, and cider, some food by Samisa, 
And yeah, it's close to where Raw is. So you can leave Raw and come right on over to us. But we do encourage you to purchase tickets if you do want to come, because I have a feeling this is going to be a very popular event. So you can check out our Eventbrite page to buy tickets. They are $30 for general admission and $20 for HRN members. Mm -hmm. There's a special code. Yeah. So make sure you're in the Cool Kids Club. Become a member. Yes. And then we have one more event, which is happening in Richmond, Virginia, November 1st through 4th. It's called Fire Flower and Fork. It is a gathering of for the food curious, celebrating the best the Richmond region has to offer. We're going to be there for the first time this year, and we're going to be doing some interviews at Food U, where Carla Hall, among many other great food personalities, will be. Um, if you want to learn more about that, go to fireflowerandfork.com or just follow us from November 1st through 4th, and you'll be able to see what's happening. And we have one more event. I think Emily has something goat-related to tell us about. <laughs> oh, my gosh. School you picked me goat. up off the street, and you let me promote Goattober? Yeah, you know we do. Wow. It wasn't even why I said yes. I just heard there was vermouth being poured. <laughs> um, and a good group of girls. Um, so this week kicked off Goattober. Uh, it was actually in the New York Times yesterday, thanks to Florence Fabricant. Um, Goatober is our annual campaign at Heritage Foods to promote goat meat, um, specifically from male dairy goats that are uh, basically otherwise euthanized. They don't necessarily have a, a use except maybe their hair for some nice cashmere sweaters. Um, so the idea is that we bring chefs on board around the country, mostly in New York and a little bit in California, um, to agree to take a goat per week and to really promote the eating of goat meat, which is not very common here in the U.S. So we have about 40 restaurants on board. We have special uh, Goatober dinners happening, one on Wednesday, October 17th at Claro here in Brooklyn. I want to go to that one. Please do. Tickets are available now via Resi. Um, actually, we just posted something on Heritage Foods Instagram, uh, Heritage Food USA. And we have a website, Gotober.us, where you can learn about all the events that are actually happening internationally. We have a friend in the UK, James Wetlor of Cabrito, who's going to join us on the main course OG on the 18th. Um, but he is really the one who has championed this and taken it across the pond and it's a multi-city international tour uh they're doing gotober events as we speak in the uk and then in frankfurt in rome in ibiza so here in new york we have claro on the 17th and then huertas in the east, east village um, on the 18th both are ticketed dinners but huertas is also going to do some pinchos at the bar mm. if people just want to give goat meat a try um, and then you can always buy goat cuts at heritagefoods.com for the home cook Try it. You'll like it. Thank you, guys. <laughs> All right. Now it's time for our headlines. Whoa, we have oh, really I, cool music I really week. like this new headlines music. Um, <laughs> I have to adjust my mic because it is basically behaving like a bobblehead. Um, okay. Announcement or headlines. So following up on our Huyid episode of Meet and 3... Um, Michael Harlan Turkel, host of the food scene, was also talking about eating cannabis with Rupa Bhattacharya, who is the editor of Vice's Munchies. They just came out with their beautiful new book, Bong Appetit. And so Rupa and Michael talks about all different ways of cooking with cannabis um, and all of the really interesting methods they use to, you know, quality test and... They did all this lab testing for THC levels and the recipes. It's a super interesting interview and a beautiful book, so you should check it out. 
And so Meet and Three is taking a little break this week after, you know, our Grass is Greener episode was a real undertaking. So we, we need a moment. Uh, we, we We're have, a little burned out. Oh! oh. Uh, <laughs> good one. Um, so, but next week we will be back and the theme of this episode is going to be In the Eye of the Storm. We're going to be doing a deep dive into the impact of Hurricane Florence on um, South and North Carolina and looking at I don't know if you guys knew this, but Waffle House has the Waffle House Index, and that's how actually FEMA can tell how bad storms are, is if Waffle Houses are either A, closed, B, on a limited menu, or, or C, open. And they actually will like call the headquarters in Norcross, Georgia, and be like, what's the situation with your Waffle Houses? And that's how they know how bad the storm is. So one of our team members is doing a, an interview with uh, Pat Warner at Waffle House to learn more about that, because that is a... Food and storm story, if I ever heard one. That is very interesting. And also a little disturbing that Waffle House has more information than FEMA. I believe in Waffle House. I would vote for Waffle House. Um, yes. And also uh, this week on HRN on Feast Meets West, Linda and Iris spoke with Chef Bao Bao of Bauberg in Greenpoint and Chef Leanne Lin of Bricolage in Park Slope. They discuss the experience of being a female chef cooking Asian food in NYC from their path to opening their restaurants and to the daily challenges and rewards of being a chef in New York City. Check that out. And this week on Meant to Be Eaten, um, Coral Lee finds like the most interesting subjects of maybe anybody on the network. And she did her first of two episodes looking into the politics and culture of professional urban foraging. She was joined by Mallory O'Donnell, who works for a landscaping company by day while documenting various foraging and harvesting projects by night. They discuss issues of access and more surrounding the subject of urban foraging with more to come in part two. Jordan, you've urban foraged, right? Yeah, well, I mean, Nassau County, Long Island. Ah, okay. Yeah. Suburban. Suburban. Ah. Suburban terroir. Yeah, the, there's a project going on. Um, Eric Longabardi, he's the cider maker, but he's working with um, kind of local government and conservation stuff to find all these old apple trees that are basically in the backyards of mansions. And he writes the the own homeowner's letters and leaves the letter and a bottle of cider in their mailbox and says, if you're interested in letting me take the apples you're not using, give me a call. So yeah, I helped him harvest apples from a bunch of old trees in the backyard of this redonkulous house. And his ciders are great. That's, That's really so cool. Wild. Yeah. Haha, <laughs> so wild. Wild. Ish. <laughs> Can you call it wild? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, speaking of cider... Uh, three of us are going to Harvest Camp on Monday through Wednesday next week with our friends at Shaxbury. I just don't think I could be more excited <laughs> right now. All I've been thinking about is all of the flannel I can wear, all of the spritzes I can drink, and all of the beautiful Vermonters I get to see again. Vermonters. And Elizabeth was at Harvest Camp last year, and you are on the board of advisors of Shaxbury? I am, yes. Tell us. What is a what is a board of advisors for a cider company do? Oh geez. Um, <laughs> first off, I actually end up meeting the entire crew at Shaxbury from Alex, who's one of the sales gents on their team, and end up becoming friends with them and joined their um, advisory board about uh, a year and a half ago or so. And from that, we just kind of from that we just basically talk through really with projections and what they're thinking through and think about collaborations and kind of more of a sounding board than anything else. The second pair of years. 
Um, nice. Yeah, it's great. I think what they're doing is remarkable up in Vermont and between their Lost Apple project and their their more innovative you know, spritz lines and so on and so forth, I think with the product they put out, it's really remarkable. And they do some super interesting collaborations with folks here in New York, like with Momofuku, uh, which we both worked for them at one point. So what? why is that like important or interesting for them to do these sort of collaborations that might be unexpected? I think in general, um, not to speak for them, but to, from what I have observed is that, you know, one thing that they've done so well is look at cider through a very different eye. So I think most people perceive cider as being sweet and heavy or just kind of really too caramelly or whatever it is for their palate. And one thing that Shaxbury does so well is they look at it more like a wine. They look at it being acidic, being food friendly, being really mindful of kind of respecting the um, apple and the terroir of where they come from, um, being in Vermont. And I think from that really lends itself to food, the way in which you would drink sparkling wine or a beer or um, a, like a white wine that's acidic. I think that that's really what they're going for. And I think all of their different variations have that in mind. Mm-hmm. Um, what are you most excited about cider-wise or, or even wine-wise right now? Oh, man. Well, actually, I did bring... I am. I actually am interested to see where kind of the cider world continues to grow. I think it's a market that is kind of in the wild west right now in a way in which beer had been for a while. And I think it's settling out. And I think cider is trying to find its home between seeing being seen as a vine and um, being perceived also as the same category as beer. So I'm, I'm interested to see how they bridge that gap. But I did actually bring today for this happy hour, I brought um, Matthias and based out of Napa Valley. They have a vermouth they just put out and I ended up finding it in Dandelion Wines in Greenpoint near our offices and I had to bring it. So I'm actually really excited about it. Yeah, it's really good. Um, Has these kind of really deep notes, obviously coming from grape varietals and it just has this kind of complexity that is really resonates in the bottle. Um, I'm excited to see a lot of domestic winemakers really kind of pivoting to doing more interesting collaborations. Speaking to collaborations, collaborations or things like vermouth and being American made is pretty remarkable. Mm-hmm. And I, I have this me- distinct memory. I'm like, I'm going to try to like w- thread things together in a very strange way. <laughs> but I have a very distinct memory when we were both working at the off- head headquarters of Momofuku that you brought in um, some bottles of Virginia wine. Can you talk about... Well, what's your connection to Virginia? And people may not think of Virginia as a place to go for wine, but what's cool about that region of American wine? Yeah, I mean, so connection-wise, we'll start there. I went to school at the University of Virginia, and um, when during my time there, I consumed you know, a fair amount of wine pre and post-21, to be quite honest. And, um, <laughs> and then when I graduated college, I ended up working in a wine vineyard called Veritas in the Monticello ABA, which is a little bit, it basically situates itself right south of DC, all the way down to the Charlottesville area, which is where um, UVA is based. Um, and it's actually called the Monticello ABA because of the connection with Thomas Jefferson. Monticello is his house. And he was one of the first wine growers to bring heirloom varietals from um, a lot of the noble grapes from Europe and bring them into the States to actually grow. So there you're seeing expressions of like Petit Bordeaux and a lot of Bordeaux grapes, um, Cab Sauve, Viognier, um, and they're all really, it's a kind of a climate that's really conducive to some of those. They express themselves very differently than you're going to find um, in the old world, but a lot of really remarkable um, winemakers such as Barbersville, Veritas, Pollock, 
oh gosh, so many other ones that I'm not able to recall at the moment, but to your point, Kat, we did do it. I brought a bunch of bottles up and we did a, um, a tasting, a vertical tasting side by side of different years, as well as different vineyards from Virginia. That was very interesting. And we're actually, I mentioned we're going to Richmond for fire, flower and fork and, um, Virginia wine is going to help us get there. So we're excited to partner with them. And I've, I've never really spent any time in Virginia, so I'm excited to explore what the, the wine there is all about. They're doing a wine speed dating event. Oh. I don't, I have, to be honest, don't 100% know what that is going to entail yet. Do you speed date the wines or other people? I hope so. I hope you're I speed hope dating wine. wine. Me too. I'd be into that. <laughs> <laughs> um, anything, anything else that's like favorite of yours of Virginia wine and um, food that we should keep an eye out for when we're down there? Um, I would say the for the wine front, um, I think Barbersville is doing really great work. And have, they have vines, or if I'm not mistaken, between 40 and 50 years old at this point, what they have planted. Wow. And so just in terms of like how they're expressing is really great. And they're doing like single varietal and bottle 100% Petit Verdot, which is, tends to be a blending grape. And I think that it's just really indicative of the climate and the terroir of how they can, these noble grapes can really be so different from, and I think... There's a lot of climate variation in Virginia between the kind of really frost and freezing down to the being really hot. And there's variables that really make it turbulent. So when you do find a good bottle, I think it's remarkable both of just no, you know, the space itself and the winemaker. Mm-hmm. And then from Momofuku, you then moved to WNP. Um, and you don't, you know, the founders of WNP from UVA, right? Yeah. This is actually a funny story. Um, well, I was a first year in college and I decided to that summer to not do, I was pre-med bound going to planning on going to med school and decided to pivot just a slight and uh, go cook that summer instead of going to work in a lab and end up meeting. I started a catering company that summer and then come that fall semester of my second year of college, I met Josh and Eric through a mutual friend of ours from Virginia and they were doing a 400 person catering party in Charlottesville and they needed pastries and I was like, I can do it. And we pulled it together and had a couple of cuts and burns and later, and we served 400 <laughs> people at the first, my first catering event ever. So um, we met then and have stayed in touch and now do work with them at WMP. How did they decide to start a design forward company? Yeah, it's actually, um, so both in college, they very much enjoyed food. They cooked for people. I remember some of my fondest memories are sitting out on their patios or in their kitchen and just having them cooking late night food or having cocktails like a la minute for anyone in the room. And it's, it's really, I think a remarkable thing to find in college, Mm -hmm. particularly when everyone's eating not that well. (laughs) Um, and then Josh actually ended up going to, took a little time off and went to culinary, a culinary program in Italy during his time at UVA. And Eric is always catering with him and always enjoyed food as well. And they went their own ways post-college and then and they basically came back together um, in 2012 with a Kickstarter campaign to fund the first product that WP was behind. And now we have um, just shy of 300 products to market. What was the first product? Uh, it's called the Mason Shaker. It was a, they basically, I remember in college, they used to take mason jars, poach, punch holes through the top of them and shake it to be able to strain. And so they had this idea. It was a kind of heritage to where they're from. They're from both from Virginia area and was something they always kind of thought about making. And so they got a Kickstarter, came to life, and that funded the ability of starting and always knowing that like this would be one product that would fund the ability of making an entire company that had really, really large aspirations. And talk a little bit about what you do as the head of brand. Yeah. So 
WP, we give a little context to that. We are a food and beverage design and manufacturing company that is based in Greenpoint. And we have a really amazing team. We're totally vertically integrated, meaning that we're dealing with everything from industrial design all the way through to the day it hits your door. Um, so that's including design, manufacturing, sales, marketing. Um, and from my end, from the brand side, we're dealing with all the copy, all the internal and external brand voice, all of our partnerships, PR, um, communication, e-commerce, digital ad buys, all that is happening in-house. So um, I work with four remarkable people and really thankful that they show up every day because I'd be a loss without them. <laughs> but um, in terms of my role, it's really maintaining our brand presence in the world. That's anything public-facing. So that's any way we collaborate with any of our partners and sit all the way from that to like really thinking and being mindful of how we communicate ourselves digitally and in print. Um, so it's a, it's kind of a, it's evolved over the course of the last four years, but it's been a wild ride as I mentioned. And so you've, you've been a caterer, you've made chocolate pastry, then you, you worked at Sambar as a manager. I mean, you've kind of done front of house, back of house. PR, everything, did did you always have a, like, next step in mind through your career, or did you kind of just, like, sometimes say, I'll, I'll just try this out? Um, I think I adopted a model pretty young. I always, I'm very curiously minded. This is kind of how I'm, weather, like, tethered, and not what, tethered, wired should be the <laughs> right word. Um, and I think that for me, I was always, I think there's a lot of similarity. When I look, kind of take a step back, I mean, it, the trajectory makes sense in my mind, um, but maybe that's, you know, reinventing your own history. But when I think about the way in which I loved, why I love medicine, why I loved food, just kind of started that major divide. It was the enable, this inherent need to be empathetic and to serve people was always part of who, who I think I am. And um, then once the kind of, I knew that, that, t- that I was going, not deferring med school and going to culinary, at that point, these doors opened and kind of took up on the model of saying, what would you do if you couldn't fail? Um, and all as these doors open, you just sit there and you say, if I fail, what's the worst thing that could happen? I get fired. I burn myself. I get screamed at. I blah, blah, blah. And I can live with that. Um, and so I, I think as these doors have opened and if I'm curious, I feel like it's going to, I'm going to learn something new and I feel like it's making the world better. I'm happy to jump. That's awesome. Well, I want to take a quick break. And then when we come back, I think the main thing we haven't talked about that I want to talk about is New Orleans. Okay. So we're going to talk about New Orleans when we come back. My name is Brandon Hoy, co-owner of Roberta's, a super-duper awesome place. Roberta's is a very, very 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 proud sponsor of the heritage radio network we're also super awesome thank you heritage thank you robertas we're back we're just chatting through our through our commercial break um we are here with our guest of the hour elizabeth tilton the head of brand at wnp and as we just heard she has had a very very fascinating career trajectory that has taken her in pretty much every corner of the food world imaginable and that's why this episode is Elizabeth Hilton explains it all because she could she could pretty much explain anything to you I go to Elizabeth with a lot of questions just like random questions so yes I would love more vermouth thank you Emily (laughs) 
We're on our second round. Um, so one thing we kind of skipped over because we talked about you went to UVA, but you're originally from New Orleans. I am. And I feel like that's a big part of who you are. I would definitely. I I have to say probably after the second glass of vermouth, more phrases will come out that are much more Southern <laughs> in, uh, in spirit, um, all puns intended. But um, yes, I am from New Orleans. Sometimes people joke that I would say I'm from New Orleans before I say my own first name. Um, but I'm actually um, a a fifth generation from New Orleans and my family is still lives there. My mom and dad and my brother and his wife and two of my other siblings were scattered. I'm one of four. We're kind of a, like a small circus. Um, but I'm from there and I find a lot of my like personality and my like passion really comes from my spirit comes from there. That's awesome. And then what, what did you, you worked in food in New Orleans. I did. Well, and so one of your job was working in like chocolate and pastry. What were some of the places that you worked in? Yeah. So I, um, when I left college, I moved down to go work for Sucre um, and was there, kind of worked as, you know, doing prep cook um, at Entremet. And by the my end of my time there, um, I was the head chocolatier and, ex- and the assistant to the executive chef. And um, so really kind of learned everything from how to assemble entremet for a pastry case, took over the macaroon station, and then chocolatier. I was doing all of our bonbons and all confection, and then did all off-sites as well. And how often do you go back to visit? Uh, not often enough, <laughs> I'd say. I try to get down there. I definitely, they're always there for holidays, for Christmas around then. Um, and then anytime I have an excuse, I try to get there. <laughs> so a couple times a year. We were there at the same time this spring. We were there for Jazz Fest. And we were we saw the Big Frida show, which was my first experience with Big Frida. And as everyone now knows, I'm obsessed. <laughs> Understandable. Uh, uh, we, That's guys, usually how it goes. You get introduced and then you you're become like, Whoa. obsessed. Kat also called into our show last week <laughs> with uh, Cal Peternow, who had just done a podcast with Big Frida. Oh and we've never received a call in. We had an actually failed call in. She ultimately ended up texting her question, question because she so badly wanted to know a little bit more about Big Frida's twerking. I needed to know. Did you listen to that podcast? Uh, I know. I've cooking. It, so it's Cal's podcast is cooking by ear which it's really great and i listened to the first two episodes and i need to catch up but it, he his first two episodes were with francis mcdormand which was fantastic what did she make risotto yeah they made like a that's right forage ris- mushroom risotto and she she was just you know she's great and then the second episode a real 180 big frida's booty pop and potatoes <laughs> which i really want to make like they whenever like we really just want to only eat carbs for a meal yeah and I, so I needed to know from Cal, because in the episode, it's a real shame that this wasn't video. He, she teaches him how to twerk. And so I needed to know what was the best part of the episode, making the booty pop and potatoes or learning how to twerk. What did he say, Emily? Apparently there is a video, although I did not go searching for it. And I don't know if it's public or if it was just that it was videoed. I think we could make a special request for I it. I think you should. Yeah. We'll be like, Cal, we're going to plug your book right now. It's called, uh, what is it? Almonds, anchovies, and pancetta. In return, we would like a copy of the video. <laughs> Internal um, use only. He just said she was incredible to to meet and that I think it was also her own take on her mother's dish. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the booty popping, you know, was just, it was a little, you have well, to listen to the main course. So you guys should listen to the main course. Listen OG. to the main course OG. Um, so yeah, so... Elizabeth, if you if someone had never been to New Orleans before and they wanted to go and of course like they want to do the touristy things but they also want to get a real sense of the city, 
where would you recommend them eat? What would you recommend them to see? What would be like the truest kind of New Orleans experience you would imagine? Oh, geez. I would have to ask one of two questions immediately is, um, are you willing to travel around? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. And then um, are you looking for like a bougie experience? You're looking for like down and dirty. Because those are two very Ooh, different New Orleans I feel like you kind of have to hit both though. Okay. That it's a high just, it's, that, like in a city like New Orleans, it's like there's there's really wonderful things on both sides of the yeah. spectrum. Whereas like in other cities, it can be like, you know, if you do the bougie, then you're going to be miserable. But, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. I feel like there's there's good both. So you want your vintage champagne and your Miller High Life exactly. champagne beers. That's, I got you. you. I got you've, you. You've hit the nail on the head. In that case, let me. That's New Orleans. I know. Um, not necessarily in any particular order for the day for your day and what time of day it is, but I would say I'm literally taking notes. Oh, good. <laughs> I'll send you a list. Anyone? I'll send anyone a list if you can get my come grab my contact. We'll put it in the episode description. Yes. There you go. <laughs> your um, cell phone number. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I would say, you know, there's so many hidden gems in terms of some highlights right now for multiple reasons. I would say there's, you know, Galatoire's, um, for a very traditional kind of what people are, this whole new, like Creole cuisine and like how that's kind of come into, um, into New Orleans. And there's a lot of great expressions of that there, but I think that one is particularly has an amazing like vibe. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say for a, if you want to go from a highbrow to a lowbrow, I would say in terms of bars, um, I think, um, oh golly, um, Molly's the market's great for like a quick drink, um, uptown. I think, oh, Turkey and the Wolf is great for, uh, booze and for sandwiches. Can I I say I wanted to like not like Turkey and the Wolf because of the like over the top Bon Appetit video. It's so good. Yeah. And Mason's an exceptional chef. He is. He's really great. I also say in terms of, and I think this kind of hybrid of like where the history of New Orleans paired with like a really unbelievable group of chefs that are stepping up and have been on the radar for a long time. There's um, one chef, Mike Galata, who owns May Pop and Mofo. And I think May Pop is, it's definitely situates, Mofo is kind of more of like, come grab some pho. We're having it for cooks Monday, like roll in whenever you want. And then May Pop is a little bit more of a refined um, experience and, and I think his how he's basically taken this kind of really traditional Vietnamese understanding of Vietnamese and its importance in our hair in our kind of just food discourse in New Orleans, and then taking that with his perception and his understanding of his own food, and put that into this one restaurant that I think is really innovative in terms of ingredients and prep and flavor profiles. It's mm. nothing like you're going to get in New Orleans. Um, I think he's unique in that. So those are some quick ads. I have my list could be forever long, yes. but. Well, as it should be, because yeah. you could spend like a month there and not run out of awesome stuff to do. Oh, and for pool boys. Everyone always goes to Domelisi's or Parkway. There's a place called Radasta's in Metairie, in Metri Bra. <laughs> and um, that place is like down and it's great. It's just so great. So you walk in and it feels like you're on the side of a swamp. <laughs> I think I went to Mother's for pool boys. Oh, yeah. Mother's is great, too. Yeah. I just yeah. did a really cool interview with Sandy Wan from Leidenheimer's for the new season of Modernist Breadcrumbs and just learning about I first of all learned that a po' boy is like just whatever you put in that bread like I thought it had to be a shrimp po' boy and I've never been to New Orleans and he was like no it's like you can put in the beef with the sauce or yeah yeah Do you, did he ever tell you the story of how the name came to be yes yeah it's a good one. I know it's a good one. Way to cheese modernist breadcrumbs. I know, yeah. <laughs> yeah there you go. Listen to that episode, it's great. Yeah. And people are very like have allegiance to that bread. Yeah, you see the you see the um there's a bunch of trucks in the city and you can see it going, you know. It's you know. Po- po boy bread is not a baguette. 
It is not a baguette. It's not a baguette. It is a whole different thing. Whole yeah. different. Texture, everything about it is very different. Mm. You, Jordan, you said someone described it as like, it has to be like cotton candy in the middle. Yeah. 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 Crust on the outside, cotton mm-hmm. candy in the middle. Oh, that's a great description. My mouth yeah. is watering. And so, yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. And I'm I like, think, where can we get them in Brooklyn? <laughs> do, you, do you have a place in New York that you go if you need a, like a New Orleans food fix? Um, definitely. I would say, actually recently, well, Gumbo Bros on Atlantic, mm. their gumbo is really unmarked. It's so good. The roux's deep and dark, and it's, it feels like home. It has heat on it. It's definitely my favorite in the city for gumbo. Um, there's been a couple places that have opened and closed over the course of the last couple of years, but I think they just, their food nailed it. So, And then if I want like kind of a New Orleans vibe, I go to um, Maison Premier. Totally. Mm-hmm. The room feels like it. It feels just feels like you're in the quarter and some sort of key lot in the middle of the French Quarter. And it, I love it. It's a gym. Um, we went. We found. A, we discovered a place in Bushwick that I, I'd be interested to see what your opinion of it was. But it it definitely did the trick on like close enough. Heavy Woods. Like, I have not heard of it. They have their. It's kind of like more known as a bar, but they do have a Cajun style food. So they had a gumbo and red beans and rice and po' boys. They, they didn't have the oyster po' boy at the time we went, which was kind of disappointing. But the catfish was pretty solid. Nice. That's so, great. Yeah. I always had this dream of living in New York and always opening up because on Mondays it was always when red beans happens, right? Mm-hmm. And I used there's a place I live when I lived in the quarter cooking. There was a place called Two Jacks, and they always had for anyone if you could prove residency in the quarter, they got free red beans on Mondays. <laughs> and I always had this dream of like having an apartment and being like, I'm opening my door every Monday, come get your red beans. And then time just doesn't ever it takes 24 hours. It takes time. I don't totally like, fair. <laughs> totally fair. It went out the window real quick. I do it every once in a while, but. The one place I didn't get to in April that I wanted to go to, and because I missed seeing you there, was Bacchanal. Oh, man. That's on the list. Yeah. I can't believe I didn't say that sooner. <laughs> Bacchanal is remarkable. And N7's another kind of close second. But it's, yeah. I used to go there just right post-Katrina, and it's it was a really special and important place for the Bywater mm-hmm. um, at that time. That's cool. Um, okay. Well, speaking of New Orleans, we always do trivia on happy hour. And we're going to do a little bit of New Orleans trivia. And Hannah's seen the questions. I'll, I'll yeah, read the read. questions. Oh, okay. Yeah, I've, I've seen them too. Yeah. So okay. um, so Jordan and Emily can help you out Let's answering try. these. But I have a feeling you're going to do pretty well. I okay. know. This is to the fire. Yeah, I, ca- right I, I kind of wrote them like more like, these will be fun. Because I was figured there was no way we were going to be able to stump you. <laughs> we'll see. Maybe you will. I mean, I've never been to New Orleans. So I'm oh. not going to be a very good help. But so I'm... Defer to you, Emily. Okay, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> I'm ready. Okay, right. question number one. What are the names of the four active streetcar lines in New Orleans? They have names. I know their colors. <laughs> we'll accept colors. Um, I actually don't know their names. There's green and red. Green is downtown and uptown. Red is more towards like the CBD and going up Canal Street um, towards. Canal's one of them. So okay. I'm going to give you that. Then I'm going to guess. Canal, Rampart. Yes. Um, yes. St. Charles. Yes. And uh, what would be the last one? Um, I don't know. Give me a hand on the last one. Last one is uh, kind of describing where it runs along. The River Bend. Riverfront. Riverfront. Okay, yes. there we go. Correct. You got that one right. Great. Okay, question number two. What documentary filmmaker was known for making films about food, music, and New Orleans? He's kind of obscure, I'd say. And he was very good friends with Werner Herzog. I don't know. I, the only one, I mean, there's a bunch of documentarians who've done sure. a lot down there. I mean... The most, I mean, most common be Spike Lee. You look thinking about it, but like when the levees broke and so on and so forth. True. This documentarian is Les Blank. Oh, 
Okay. Do you familiar yeah. with him? Yeah. He uh, fun fact about him. Uh, he got he was he had, he was sick for a long time, and uh, but when he died, he was making. He's working on a documentary about a folk artist that was very close to my hometown named Butch Anthony. And, like, I don't think they've ever actually released anything, but they've released, like, some footage of it. He was, like, a very, very, like, lo-fi kind of filmmaker. Okay. Yeah. I would check out his work. He, he did the documentary Garlic is as Good as Ten Mothers that, was, that had a lot of Alice Waters in it. Because she used to do a whole garlic dinner in the 80s. Where she roasts like, she just bring that really. back. Yeah, <laughs> that sounds amazing. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> okay, question number three. Coronet player Buddy Bolden, who lived from 1877 to 1931, is credited with inventing what form of music? I'm gonna go with j- um, like jazz. I mean, yes, just jazz in general. Just jazz. okay, <laughs> that's easy. There we go. <laughs> uh, yep, the most most early jazz musicians credit Bolden and his bandmates with having originated uh, what came to be known as jazz. Um, though the term was not commonly used during his career. All right, question number four. Which restaurant in the French Quarter is the oldest continuously run restaurant in New Orleans? Antoine's. Correct. So if you were going to tell someone Antoine's, Galatoire's, or Commander's, would you go Galatoire's, or would you say, like, depends on what you're looking for? I would say downtown, definitely Galatoire's. Over Antoine's. No offense, Antoine. Sorry. Uh, I just think it gals was such a more intimate experience. It's like you walk into this room. It's like kind of like everyone has to wear a coat, but it's just boisterous and people are wearing boas and they're poor. And it's just people are just crushing wine at 5 p.m. because they haven't left lunch since noon. Um, it's just a really neat vibe. And I think for Commanders Uptown is a very different experience. Mm-hmm. I think the passing of Ella Brennan as a kind of a really important figure for the food scene in New Orleans is, was a really big loss this year. Um, but I think that experience is very different than Galatoire's, but it has much more of a, everyone's wearing hats and there's balloons for your birthday. And it's much more of kind of a neighborhood First, Galatoire's is a little bit um, more downtown. Cool. <laughs> so next time I'm going to Galatoire's cause I've crossed commanders yes. off my list. Yes, you have to. Commanders was really good though. Um, question number five, can you list the ingredients of New Orleans signature cocktail, the Sazerac? Oh man. Um, absinthe, bourbon, bitters, um, and I'm missing one thing. Sugar, simple. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I think you, I think you nailed it. I, th- we have ice sugar, peychauds, yeah. cognac or rye, which bourbon. Yeah. Totally. Absinthe and a lemon twist. Great. Nailed it. Um, I did say, I said Ingestore, not peychauds, but I oh. should have known because that is its origins are in mm. New Orleans. Is that controversial? No, not necessarily. It just it should have been default. Any, any New Orleanian would looked at me and shook their head. <laughs> well, I think there was some stuff online I saw that credits. I believe his first name was Antoine Peychaud as like inventing the Sazerac. So. Yeah, so that's helpful. <laughs> and then, isn't it when you go to Sazerac Bar, it's not necessarily the Sazerac that you go for. It's the What's the... Oh, the Ramos Gin Fizz. Yes. Yes. Which is like drinking a cloud. It is. They can clear that egg white on top of the glass by like doubling its own height. It's unbelievable. And the Collins glass, nevertheless. Yeah. It's really impressive. It was very good. <laughs> That's definitely another like good experience. If you yeah. can go and it's not insanely crowded. Yeah. Never, I always laugh that it was always right after church that it got really busy. You always knew when church let out. <laughs> Everyone's <laughs> like, I need a drink. It was like always beeline. 30 minute mass and everyone was in there. It was letting me giggle. Express mass. Well, who, who was it that was on happy hour that was saying that a gin fizz is a breakfast drink? Oh, it was um, Jared. 
No. Yes, from yeah. Sip oh, Smith. Sip Smith. Yeah, he, yeah. <laughs> it's, like it's a, it's a that's breakfast. That's totally reasonable. Cocktail. That's totally reasonable. That's breakfast. Yeah, you gotta get like, your eggs somehow. You're right. You know what? I can't argue with that. Okay, last question is: What location in the city of New Orleans was once a popular place for gentlemen to meet and duel to defend their honor? Neutral ground. So it has to be on a neutral ground, probably. So probably Canal Street, the median, no. or Esplanade. Mm-mm. No, or Rampart. <laughs> Where is it? It's in a. It's in one of the parks. Oh, it's like two, it's a. It's known. There were two oak trees in this park where. Oh, fascinating. Would, would it? Well, there's three parks. Louis Armstrong, <laughs> ci, um, Central or City Park, City Park. Okay. It was. The, it was literally the dueling oak in City Park. <laughs> oh, okay. I have to figure out where that is. Well, and I I saw something that, despite so many trees being lost during Katrina, that one of the dueling. I think there were two oaks that were sort of like this historical spot, but one of them survived. Oh, wow. Which is incredible. They won the duel. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Poetic. Poetic. Indeed. What a great, what a great place to end. Um, all right, Elizabeth, thanks for playing our trivia game, and thanks for explaining it all. Oh, yeah. Thank you for having me. <laughs> and thanks for the vermouth. Welcome. Hope you enjoyed it. Maybe the best happy hour drink we've ever had. Oh. And Elizabeth, um, what are the newest titles from... WNP and Dovetail that we should keep an eye out for this fall. Oh, definitely. So Dovetail is our imprint publish our publishing imprint at WNP, and we just came out with Hacking Whiskey, a book called Ranch, which is literally all about ranch, like sixty recipes. It's remarkable. Look it up. It's like I all love this Memphis, yeah, um, aesthetics, great. And then um, Lunch by uh, Olivia Mac McCool, who is one of our been with the company, and she's an amazing food stylist and author in her own right. Amazing. All right. Well, Elizabeth Tilton, head of brand at WNP, has been our guest today. Thanks again for joining us. And Jordan Warner Berry and Emily Pearson and my co-host of for the day, Hannah Forden. Thanks, Kat. And thanks to our engineer, Amanda Wang. And that's our show. And we will be back next week. And we'll give you our full report of Harvest Camp. See you later. for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.